Welcome to the conversation that we're about to have on the subject of nutrient neutrality. I have here with me Roland Cooper from Considine and William McIlvelly from Seven Trent Connect, who are both very keen to debate what has been a hot topic for far too long. Who would have known that three years ago we would still be discussing the issues that nutrient neutrality is having on development and on house builders across the country, but more importantly on the level of housing that we're able to provide when we need it so much. Coming to you first, William, can you share with those who maybe aren't up to speed how we've come to this position and why are we facing these huge hurdles in development now? Well, in terms of you know nutrient neutrality as, as a headline, it is what it says on the tin. Um, home builders, uh, organisations wishing to add overnight accommodation um, must demonstrate beyond reasonable scientific doubt that as a result of their uh, development, their land use change, they will not contribute a single kilogram more of nitrogen and or phosphorus to the local water environment. Um, and of course, if you're, if you're connecting into the local uh, water incumbents uh, network or having a um, significant land use change from green open space through to urban, that's going to be very, very challenging to achieve um, without um, forms of mitigation. And the, the hurdle for demonstrating that mitigation is acceptable to the likes of Natural England, the local planning authorities, is incredibly difficult. I'm sure we'll go into some of the detail as we as we go on. No, no doubt we will. There is a lot to cover um, because this has been an ongoing battle um, with, correct me if I'm wrong, Northern, uh, New, Natural England um, being the big bad wolf, so to speak. Um, Roland, I know you've been very much on your soapbox for a long time and, yeah, a voice of voice of reason that isn't being heard at the moment. Um, how do you feel that it has developed over the three years? Obviously not as it should have done, but where are the, the big sticking points? Well, it hasn't developed at all, is the simple truth. The background of this is Natural England issued advice. Some might suggest that it was almost rushed out because of the need to get things into the legislature or into associated habitat regulations, which is the, the, the founding plank of the Natural England advice, um, before the um, true impact of Brexit really hit, because government committed to anything that was on the books um, at a certain date after the Brexit vote would remain on the books, apparently. The problem that I and pretty much everyone else in the development world have with this is that the the Natural England advice is trying to address the wrong piece of the problem. The problem is nutrient, nutrients in the form of nitrogen and phosphorus in the stour catchment. That is creating a problem called eutrophication, whereby the wrong kind of plants are growing too well. We're getting the wrong kind of weed, um, allegedly, and as a result, it is affecting, adversely affecting the natural environment. Now, most developers, believe it or not, are very sympathetic to that point. However, the problem is there. It is there now because of the poor agricultural practices that have happened, because of the way urban water and urban runoffs find their way into the catchment in an uncontrolled manner, and because of um, the effluent levels in the treated, the nitrogen and phosphorus levels in the treated effluent from the treatment works that discharge into the river catchment. The, the issue therefore is about 
one third a piece. So it's about a third attributable to agriculture, very roughly, about a third to urban runoff, very roughly, and about a third to the wastewater treatment works discharges. So already we can see that the pure human waste component of the problem is about a third. Now, that already exists. The levels of nutrient in the effluents are supposedly controlled by Environment Agency and DEFRA in the form of permit level setting. These are, if you like, within the gift of government or government bodies. So this is not a developer's problem. It's not the developers that have caused this. They connect fairly to the sewer infrastructure network so that the waste is um, treated correctly and appropriately in a controlled way. So Natural England's advice is saying, actually, you can't have a new house or a new hotel room or a new student block or a new prison cell until you can prove that you're having no adverse impact. To put this into context, if all of the allocated housing that's in all of the five-year local land supply plans, local plans, was built now, it would, in theory, add about 1% to existing nutrient levels from wastewater treatment works, which, as I've already explained, is only a third of the problem. So all of that new housing would actually only add about 0.3% to the problem. The reality is all of that energy and all of that expense should go towards improving the outputs of treatment works, which is actually not very difficult to do. And something that has been happening for many years, that we are a very conscious population now of how we um, are damaging the environment and the waterworks is something that we've been working towards improving. Can you share what was happening before we were stopped, so to speak, William? In in terms of the asset investment plans across the across the sector, exactly that. Yeah. Well, uh, since uh, since privatisation, um, the you know there have been uh, multiple billions of pounds per water company spent on improving their asset base. Uh, in terms of uh, improving the quality of the treatment works, reducing nutrient pollution, providing additional capacity. Um, that's happened every uh, every five years during the asset management planning period. Um, and that continues, that continues to happen. So to the best of my knowledge, there is no significant change on how the sector is looking to uh, upgrade and enhance its asset base. Um, with the with the latest guidance from uh, government in form in the form of the Leveling Up and Regeneration um, Act, um, we now know there is a little more targeted uh, advice um, in the form of uh, treatment works over a certain size threshold, insensitive catchments, and the sensitive catchments we're, we're referring to here are the, the those that confer to uh, nutrient pollution must deliver the best technically achievable standards of treatment by 2030. Aside from that, there has been no significant shift in how the sector is, is looking to alter its plans. But I, I was sorry, I would add to that, that within the current asset management plan that actually runs to the end of 24, so another year, um, already six of the treatment works in the Stour catchment are scheduled to be improved. And in a public meeting, um, probably about 18 months ago, the then Chief Executive of Southern Water Services confirmed in answer to a direct question from me, interestingly enough, that all of those treatment works would de definitely deliver the stated reductions. The issue though, is that the reductions at the time were planned for phosphorus. 
Nitrogen has been the slipping under the wire substance for quite some time in that for most, if not all, treatment works at the moment, there is no official permit level for nitrogen because it wasn't really deemed to be much of a problem. But we can now see that it is actually a problem and it does need to be um, addressed. And to put some further weight on that, William correctly mentioned best technically achievable level. What does that actually mean? Well, at the moment, our poorest performing treatment works in region has a phosphorus permit level of about eight milligrams per litre of phosphorus. The technically achievable level at the moment is broadly 0.25 milligrams, which in simple terms is a 97% reduction in phosphorus. For nitrogen, it's a little more nuanced, but even so, technically achievable level, and jump in if I'm wrong here, William, it, it's about... 10, about 10 milligrams. So that's down from the assessed or assumed level of 27 milligrams that our current calculations and planning have to work towards. So as you can see, just by simply investing in our treatment works, we can remove up to 97% of the phosphorus, not all the time because some treatment works are already performing better, but it is up to 97%. And certainly we can remove half to two thirds, almost, of the nitrogen. Now, by investing those sums, and, and those sums are of the order of for a large treatment works, for example, something serving a small city like, let's say, Canterbury, the cost there is around the 10 to 12 million pound mark. Now you've got, and that would huge, that actually takes out with one treatment work, that actually reduces the nutrient loads by about 35% of, of the total human waste component. That's about 35% with that investment. Now let's look at what the Natural England Advice has done to the development community in Stodmarsh area. It has affected regional economic output by between eight and 9%. And that's not just the house builders, that's all of the businesses and the investment that comes from having that level of activity. It's the student accommodation, it's the hotels, the prison cells, we've mentioned them already. You know, there's, a, there's an awful lot of things that are caught up in this. That is 33,000 allocated homes, which round up to about 50,000 of, uh, of, of homes when you include windfall, student accommodation, and other such benefits. And our region needs these kind of things. We need the housing. We need the tourist accommodation. We need the student accommodation. We have three fantastic universities in our region. They are constantly trying to attract new students to fund all these new courses that we want to up our skills in the region. And as a result, they need the accommodation. So it's much, much, much more than just stopping house building. Yeah, of course. And as you said, that 10 to 12 million pound investment is just a drop in the ocean when we think about how it has affected the economy. What beggars belief, and I can't get my head around still, is why Natural England brought this advice without consulting with quite clearly we have technical experts in the room you're able to um, show how we can work to ensure that we're being envir environmentally considerate we understand the issues so let's work together to understand the direction of travel that we should take rather than just putting a block on it well i do yeah i mean this is this is me back on the soapbox sorry audience but I, I, I really, really, really feel that this advice has been rushed out with all of the best intentions. Everybody 
in the development world, despite what populist opinion sometimes says, we all want to do the best we can for the environment. New development greatly improves water use. It greatly improves um, carbon use and energy consumption. It uses sustainable materials wherever it can. And importantly, it allows us to move out of rubbishy old inefficient housing stock to get it replaced with something much better. Okay, sometimes that rubbishy old housing stock is a grade two listed building, they should be preserved. But the point I'm trying to make is that as a, as a society, we need to move forward, we need to improve, and new development is a very big player in that. And I, I firmly believe that the authors of this advice in Natural England, firstly, they didn't actually, I think, understand all the nuances and spin-off issues. But secondly, I firmly believe, because I have had the conversations with them, that they didn't understand how big the problem was in, in Stour, in Kent. I say that because the first real example of this became, came up in, um, in the Solent. And I spoke to one of the seniors at uh, Natural England about, about the Solent, and that's a nitrogen-only problem. It's in a very simple river valley. They were able to intercept natural flows and farm flows. They were able to provide a credit scheme very quickly very affordable, less than £5,000 per dwelling and about £1,800 per hotel room. But it was simple, it was quantifiable and it only affected 1,400 units roughly. So when I suggested that in the Stour, the, uh, the problem we've got here is both phosphorus and nitrogen and it's not going to be anything like £5,000 a house to fix. And by the way, did they realise it, it was affecting between 33,000 and 50,000 new dwellings consented in a local plan in local plans these silence was deafening and i think i think we're on a pathway through all good intentions but it surely now's the time to actually take a step back have another think about what we can do and replan this and let's focus our efforts where it's going to make the most good which is talking to people like william at seven trent let's get some let's get some best practice into our existing wastewater treatment facilities and infrastructure. Let's talk more to our colleagues in agriculture who are working furiously in the background to try and reduce their nitrogen and phosphorus burden. Two reasons for that, environmental awareness and money. Fertilizers cost more now post Ukraine than ever before. So they've got two drivers there. There is so much that can be done much more effectively than simply stopping new development. Stopping new development is trying to use a 0.3% size Band-Aid to prevent an arterial wound. I'm mixing metaphors here, but you get the feeling. Mm. We're, we're, we're tackling the wrong thing. And in trying to tackle the wrong thing, we're actually doing vastly more damage to our regional and national economy than I think anyone really foresaw. Mm. I think it's it's clear that we haven't had the, the right people all in the right room at the same time to have the conversations and that's why Natural England gave the advice that they did. But do we have those people all together now? Obviously we have government involvement, it's, it's gone to the highest levels, but Department of Learning Health, Housing and Communities, for example, have been involved for a long time. Do you feel that they understand the issues and why the output that has come from this needs to be Corrected. Well, if I can go first, and I'm sure William's got some burning views on this one as well, because his knowledge, his, his, his understanding is from a different place than mine. I'm obviously working in the developers community world. William and his team are in the water business world. But from a developer's point of view, it's it's been frustrating for us that there's been a bit of a almost revolving door of personalities at Natural England. Um, 
and in the local authorities, they're, they're not funded and they're not able to procure the expertise to, to really challenge this. Um, and I know that because some of the questions, some of the dialogue I have with the local authorities, and I have huge sympathy with the planning authorities because they've effectively been handed this poison chalice and they are effectively painted as the bad guys and girls. They're not. They are trying to make the best of a very bad situation, not of their causing. So it's not the planning authorities' fault. Um, William, what's the, what, do you, what do you think about from a, from a water company point of view? Um, going back to my, my, my earlier point um, around the Leveling Up and Regeneration Act, Part 7, um, which is uh, targeted investment uh, in treatment works in areas of nutrient, you know, uh, nutrient sensitivity. I, I, I think from, from that perspective, they, you know, the, the um, uh, government have, are, are on the money. Um, but be, beyond that, you know, I don't have any, I don't have any views on, on whether informed people are making, uh, you know, making the correct policy decisions. Mm. But as Roland mentioned earlier, it's about more than just property development and wastewater works. It's about the agriculture industry and all the people that are responsible and affected. At a catchment level. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, William, you're right. It, it, this, is, this needs to be about catchment planning. And catchment planning has to start with what is happening in the catchment now. Because, I mean, in a stour catchment, we've got many hundreds of thousands of people already flushing the loos and washing their hands. The, the few tens of thousands of people who would purportedly come into new development is a drop in the ocean. You just play the numbers game. It doesn't matter which way you examine this. New development is not the problem. But new development can be the solution. New development funds so much of our infrastructure and funds so many of the forward steps that we take to improve our society that having advice in front of us that effectively stifles the ability for development to come to the table even is, is ridiculous. And I'm further concerned that Colleagues, having spoken recently to, and um, probably moving on a little bit, but speaking to, to colleagues and contacts in the various local authorities and private developments who are trying to promote, for example, wetlands creation to provide nutrient credits for, to facilitate development. And by, by wetland creation and nutrient credit, what we're talking about here is you take a dirty flow of water and you take it from where it goes into the river and you put it through a, a properly engineered wetland and the wetland reduces greatly the quantity of nutrients within that dirty flow so you get a much cleaner flow and that manages to reduce the nutrient load and you can then say well okay if we're taking 10,000 kilograms of nitrogen and a thousand kilograms of phosphorus out of the catchment then we can use that to offset our new developments of you know, whatever whatever credits you need the issue there is that you need a dirty influent you need dirty water coming in at the moment the only real source of that because the nutrient level in the river isn't actually very high and again interestingly even just downstream from an effluent pipe, you can, it's almost undetectable, the nutrient from an effluent pipe, it, within close proximity once you're in the river, because the volume of water in the river is so much greater than the volume of water that comes out of a little effluent pipe. So back to the point I was trying to make, the, the wetland requires a dirty influent, dirty water coming in. Well, that's fine, and you think, well, we'll just intercept the water as it comes out of the treatment works, and we'll clean that up, Happy days. 
The issue there is that government quite rightly, separately, and William will tell me the exact bit of legislation this comes under, have promised investment in the next round of asset management planning to target all of the treatment works within the affected catchments, so that's Stowers, Dodmarsh, and the others around the country, to bring them into line with the best technically achievable level. Now, that is perfect. That is what we need to see, because that will, in some cases, reduce the phosphorus load by 97%. However, for the unfortunate businesses and local authorities who invested quite a lot of money trying to move wetland schemes forward, they've just seen, in some cases, 97% of their phosphorus credits disappear. So the wetland that would have been reducing 97% of the, would have been reducing, say, 60, 70% of the phosphorus, the influent coming into it after 2030 will be so clean, it won't do anything. So the fun, these wetland schemes and the funding and the financial argument now no longer stacks up. So sorry, but wetland solutions in terms of the existing wastewater treatment work infrastructure isn't going to work. However, as William could suggest now, wetlands have a very important role to play when you're planning large developments and his sort of facilities. Absolutely. So they can play, play two roles, really. You've got what I would describe as the polishing of the final effluent that comes to the back end of the, these new on-site treatment works. And you've also got um, uh, wetlands that can um, uh, immobilise and capture um, urban runoff. So they're designed differently, of course, but, but have ultimately the same, the same effect on the, on, on the catchment. And um, if you take a, a, typical, uh, a typical urban development as an example, uh, traditionally, if you were to connect your service water um, into the, the local combined sewers, you know, a, a good proportion of the nutrients within that would, would end up back in, the, back in the local water environment. If you engineer it with the sustainable urban drainage principles of slowing down the water and attenuating, you get two forms of removal. Your solid, um, your insoluble uh, form of nutrient um, gets slowed down and, and, and um, is, is captured, and that can be manually removed in the form of silt, for example, or um, and then the other form, the soluble, the dissolved form of nutrients can be taken up with blue-green infrastructure, aka plants, that then convert that potential nutrient pollutant into biomass, leaves, roots, shoots, uh, etc. That's that's really good. And and again, this isn't novel thinking. Um, it's actually alluded to in um, Natural England's initial advice, and it's been formalised more recently by two Syria documents, Syria Report C808, which is use of suds for removal of um, phosphorus, and more recently, as in last month, um, that's in October 23, uh, a similar document, which is Syria 815, that references the removal of nitrogen through the use of suds. Now, got to be careful here, both of these documents you read them quickly and they look like a great idea, and they are. But for nitrogen in particular, you've got to be very careful. These suds need to be properly engineered and it does need some proper thought and consideration. It's not just a case of we've got suds, therefore we don't have a nutrient problem. It's it's not, not quite as simple as that, but it can be as simple as that to gain a significant benefit. And that almost brings us on to the point of 
how can you move forward when you've got a nutrient problem? You've got a, you've got a project, it's got a nutrient problem. For the smaller sites, it's, it's particularly difficult because you don't tend to have the space to do very much, but it doesn't mean to say you can't do anything. And so conversations with myself and people like us, people like myself and William, as early as you can, before you've arguably even started to plan your site out, could mean you can get a level of development coming forward, planned correctly, working with what the ground conditions are, working with what you've already got on the site, can give you a level of beneficial development that it might not be ideal for what you want, but it could still be something. So the plea from both of us is please have that early conversation. And on the larger sites, William, I mean, we've both worked on a couple of projects where we've been brought in fairly late in the piece. And and it's almost been a shame because we've kind of looked at the site and thought or suggested that if, if the site had been planned slightly differently, we could have had a much more efficient way of dealing with sustainable urban drainage, with you know, dealing with the wastewater treatment works. And for example, you provide wastewater treatment works for private development, but that meet the requirements of, an, of, a, of a public works. Could you, you want to talk about that for a second? Uh, yes, absolutely. So, uh, well, Seven Trent Connect, uh, firstly, is a statutory undertaker appointed by the Secretary of State. So we're you know, a bona fide uh, organisation uh, and, and when we look to design and build on-site wastewater treatment works for, for, for clients, housing developers, local planning authorities and government departments, um, we have them designed and built uh, in a way that meets um, the environment agency's permitting requirement, that meets um, uh, bill affordability, uh, etc. Because we're going to the long-term um, asset stewards and indeed one of the requirements of nutrient neutrality is that your mitigation is is enduring, um, I believe, at least eight years. Um, in perpetuity is what they say. In, in perpetuity, um, aka 80 years on a, a, a number of these models that I've seen. But, but you know, nevertheless, we're designing for that, that, that long-term future uh, in, in mind. Um, but as Roland says, if you can start uh, uh, engaging with, with, with us and others much earlier on, you can you can get uh, much more efficient land use, you know, uh, um, arrangements. We've we've both come across clients who have approached us, you know, in the dying weeks before submission, and they're having to scrub out 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 uh, dwellings, um, come up with uh, additional reinforcement to electricity supply, so on and so on. You, you could go on, and, that, and that's very in, you know, that, that, that's very inefficient. Whereas if you start at the outset, get your nutrient neutrality budget calculator start scratching your head you might be able to get some uh, you know some, some homes away very early on uh, and then look at your hierarchy of, of options to come up with a you know an optimal an optimal plan which you know works for certainly and I, and I think it's also important to to mention that we need to look at the piece holistically um, so it's not just about getting the, 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 the final scheme to work. We also have to be considerate of, of, of how a larger scheme is built because there's a requirement. If you need a level of development already occupied for a treatment works to actually become effective, that means you've got to deal with a temporary arrangement of the initial 10 to 15% of dwellings. They need to be able to flush their loos and how do you deal with that? That's an important point that can often be forgotten. Other things... Spatial awareness to topographical awareness, working with the levels of the land so that everything works by gravity. I mean, it sounds so simple, but you'd be surprised how often we come across schemes with a little pumping station in just the wrong place. You know, these are the kind of things I mean when, when talking to the likes of us very early on. It's a plea. 
the, the, we can never have the conversation too soon. Both William and I, and I'm sure our, our peers around the industry, we'd be more than happy to have that very early conversation with you, just so we can set you on the right path. And then engage us when the time is right. Engage us when it's right for you. Everyone knows early engagement is the way forward these days, surely. It's, for me, about that glimmer of hope that despite the new legislation, the advice, that there are still developments going ahead and it's those that are consulting uh, with engineers, with the um, technical experts on the water side and able to get those through plan permission and into development. William, can you share with us some of those success stories that you've been involved in? Absolutely. So we've uh, partnered with Red Row Homes for, for a number of schemes. Um, one of the most advanced uh, is in, in Canterbury, Kent, um, where we're you know, looking to treat the flows and loads of a population about a, about a thousand, uh, thousand people. So best part of 400 homes, including some uh, non-domestic space. Um, we were engaged uh, probably two and a half years ago. Time goes that quickly, but relatively early on. In the scheme could have been earlier, um, and uh, you know we, we've we've used that time wisely to engage with the Environment Agency, with Natural England, um, with other in, you know uh, other informed parties, um, and we're currently constructing our, uh, our water recycling centre there um, to the technically achievable limits, um, or technically achievable limits that the water sector consider, uh, which are about zero point two five milligrams per litre total phosphorus and 10 milligrams per total nitrogen. So we're doing that. We're expecting to go live in uh, perhaps late spring of next year. Um, and another an, another local success, uh, if you will, would be Otterpool Park. So um, we're, we're working very closely with um, uh, Otterpool LLP on their drainage and wastewater strategy. Um, and we're looking to actually push beyond the technically achievable limits as as defined by the Environment Agency um, on the total phosphorus front, so pushing closer to 0.1 milligrams per litre with, I'd use the term advanced treatment apparatus, but only in the sense of the, the, the wastewater side of the water sector, the sorts of assets that we're looking to uh, rely on to achieve that level of performance are well known on the clean water side. So we're, we're, we haven't invented anything new. Our novel approach is just taking what already works um, elsewhere in the sector and bolting it on um, to, for, 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 for an outcome. And that's about eight and a half thousand homes. So you, know, the, you can go as large as you like. Um, there is a, a, a lower size limit, which I know Roland uh, alluded to earlier, where, where some of the you know, smaller SME developers are, are struggling. And perhaps the, the final example I'll give um, it's with the Ministry of Justice, so um, uh, even the Ministry of Justice are caught up by neutri neutrality when it comes to expanding uh, expanding some of their prison sites. Uh, adding uh, additional cells is overnight accommodation and therefore falls under the same uh, neutri neutrality requirements. Um, and uh, in in the Cleveland uh, in the Cleveland catchment, um, we've uh, we've been appointed to uh, deliver a new treatment works not just to service the um, expanded, uh, expanded population, but actually with, with, with collaboration in mind, we're taking all of the existing flows and loads of the, um, or, or the prison. Um, I won't reveal the exact number for, for obvious reasons, but it, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's multiple thousands of population equivalent uh, running 
uh, we'll run them through um, uh, one of our on-site treatment works and the MOJ will be able to use those nutrient credits to offset several other of their schemes so there's an efficiency whereby they're not having to have treatment works built at every single uh, institution within the same catchment. They can use the, the one scheme to offset the other, so credit trading, but also um, that still generates uh, quite a healthy surplus of, of several hundred kilograms or bit of nitrogen rather than uh, phosphorus. It, uh, it, phosphorus isn't uh, a nutrient of concern in that particular catchment. Um, and I can't go into the exact details of the commercial arrangements, but it is highly likely that many of those credits will find their way um, available for um, housing developers to, to benefit from. This, this obviously leads to the, the, the question, if you will, in terms of where are we going from now? Now, we're in a situation at the moment where there was the, the Department for Leveling Up Homes and Communities idea to amend habitat regulations got defeated in the Lords. Some of us were hoping something might find its way into King's speech to make it have legislative primacy. It's not there. So the chances of the legislation changing substantively in this current government cycle is none. And there's not exactly a willingness for anyone to have this in the legislative agenda in any time in the near future. So we're kind of going to have to get a workaround. We're going to have to find ways of dealing with this. What you talked about with the prison asset, um, that resonates with me because something like 80% of our housing delivery in our region is from SME sites. You know, the big ones, they're few and far between. Each district's got one, but that's that's 20%, maybe 25% of total housing delivery. And in terms of businesses, the vast majority of hopefully our audience would be on the smaller side of the spectrum. So what's, what do you feel, would, would getting some kind of group activity to come together to find some poorly performing assets and with your help, for example, trying to work out how we can convert them into much cleaner assets to then free up the nutrient load. Is that something you've either experienced other than the MOJ? It, would that be viable? So we, for, for as long as I can recall, we have been promoting collaboration with, with, our, with, our, with our clients. Um, if, if there's an adjacent development, can they tee in and you know, share some of the cost burden? And of course, in, in, you know, in, in the example we're looking at now, can they share some of the, the, the nutrient removal capability? So we, we, we strongly encourage that. We haven't seen a huge uptake. Um, operating at, I guess, a tactical level, approaching individual developers and, and, and you know, local stakeholders, you've got the issues created with having a hub and spoke system, so having physical connectivity. You know, at about a thousand pounds a meter, very quickly, it can be too expensive for, for SME uh, developers to uh, to create a hub and spoke type uh, uh, arrangement. So, getting collaboration at that, that, that larger scale, either with a larger developer, um, investing in um, marginally more efficient assets to generate credits to to to, to sell to others, um, would be would be sensible. If there's any uh, existing catchment. That's on a foul only, and it becomes quite complicated if you've got surface water mixed in. Um, uh, foul only systems to divert those flows, providing, of course, they are being sent to a treatment works with relatively poor levels of nutrient pollution. So the the, the cleaner the uh, the treatment work, the, the cleaner the receiving treatment works, the smaller the benefit of 
you know, uh, replumbing it into a new works would be. But almost certainly there are opportunities that aren't being tapped into, pardon the pun. <laughs> I like that. This, this, this triggers with me as well. I'm often asked by um, certainly smaller developers, uh, um, infill developments, little background developments, whether they could simply use a, a package treatment plant. Package treatment plants aren't anything like as efficient as, as the kind of plant that you provide, William, but they are oft, they're a lot better than a septic tank and they're a lot better than, um, they can be as good as a public works, uh, albeit a poorly performing one. The issue that they're facing, and this is kind of a, a point of conflict of policies, is that you can have a, a site and you could knock down one big house and put, say, 20 units on it. But if that site is already connected or within reasonable distance of a public sewer, then environment agency standing policy requires you to use that sewer. And this is this is for the right reason. It's for groundwater protection because environment agency policy isn't for the next 10 minutes or the next three years. It's, it's in perpetuity as well. And our groundwater is frankly very important. So that's why that is difficult. And a lot of people do struggle to understand that. My own point of view there is I feel that being able to do something in the short term as a temporary arrangement for five years or something pending the arrival of a of a long-term mitigation strategy would be accept should be acceptable of course the unanswered question there is well what is the mitigation strategy going to be and when is it going to be delivered you know if you'd asked me three years ago when i was talking to natural england and they said we'll sort this in six months and here we are three three and a half years later and it's still not sorted so that's another reason why some of these supposed short-term ideas probably don't work but the future is we, we need a future we need to be able to drive something forward and in my opinion the 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 future is going to be a shift in the natural England advice to respect that government policy is assuredly going to greatly reduce the nutrient burden in the catchment from simple asset management program by 2030, we are going to see substantial reductions in the nutrient level. And I appreciate that Natural England say, well, this is merely resetting the nutrient level to where it should have always been. But come on, guys and girls, smell the roses. The environment that's out there now has been like that for this nutrient level for 30 to 40 to 50 years. And we've got to, we've got to cut some slack somewhere to get the economy moving. And that's one of the ways is to say, okay, let's take some of that credit benefit, some of that nutrient benefit, and let's allocate that to our five-year housing supply, allocated plan, allocated plans, spatial planning, call it what you will. For sites that are larger, uh, my gut feel is something around the 500 to 600 dwelling mark of, of, of houses, it'd be larger for apartments and flats. They should be pressed to create a solution on site because with your good offices and the seven Trent Connect, you've got, you've got a, a facility that is proven it works and with a five to six hundred dwelling plus site you you tend to have the available space it might need us to rethink slightly what our public open space provision is our biodiversity net gain provision is we might need an element of double counting there to get us over the line but i think in in terms of the greater picture i think this is also where we need to go and the final point i wanted to talk about is this is one we haven't mentioned yet which is water use neutrality in in Kent, we are in one of the seven classified water use stress areas in Britain. That means there's not, at times, there's not enough water. Now we can argue separately about 
why that's the case about the selling of reservoir assets, about leak management, where upwards of 40% of the water, our treated water asset goes straight back into the ground. But, but moving away from that, if we move towards reducing our water use from the 140, 150, 160 litres per person in our old inefficient buildings and move it a lot closer to the 80 to 90 that we know we can achieve and arguably the 100 litres per person per day that the water companies are actively targeting now, then that in turn will reduce the volume of water going through treatment works. It's more nuanced in terms of effluent levels because you know, the, the volume of the really dirty waste stays about the same. It's the volume of water carrying it that reduces, but it does reduce the outputs from the treatment works. And it does make the treatment issue a bit easier because you're dealing with less volume, slightly dirtier volume, but less volume. So I think that the future is going to need, let's work more on water use neutrality. Let's look more at where we can put in these strategic mitigation schemes when they work for the for and not all of them do for the reasons I spoke about earlier. Let's try and examine the consortium approach to get smaller developers rocking and rolling again because they do not have any other way of doing this. If there's no regional mitigation strategy and they can't work as a group, then they've got nothing. And that is very damaging for our economy. And the water works, the, the, the water the wastewater treatment work improvements using those nutrient reductions, which are going to be substantial, to the part benefit of new development, I think is, is certainly what we're going to need to do. William, from your side of the fence, what else do you think we could look at? I think you've, you've covered the majority of the main points there. Um, I think on water neutrality, water use neutrality, uh, there is an opportunity to look at wastewater as a, as a resource, um, something that we're looking to do in, in Kent. So we partnered with the Duchy of Cornwall at their, at their proposed site in um, Faversham. And we're looking at taking the final effluent from our proposed on-site treatment works, further treating it to a, um, a non-potable standard, and then putting it back into supply. Not for, not for drinking, of course, but for toilet flushing and garden watering the sorts of uses that if you thought about it, you'd scratch your head and think, why are we using drinking water to carry out this activity? And we, we have great confidence we can shave at least a third, maybe more than 40% of uh, potable potable demand off by, by using what we've already got a little more uh, sensibly. And that, and that, whilst that doesn't change what actually winds up going into the toilet or the wash basin or the shower or the bath, it does reduce the burden of what goes into a wastewater treatment works and therein is the benefit, therein is the benefit. And in these cost conscious times of ours, anything that means we don't have to buy treated water is, is going to be a benefit to all of us. It might only be a few pence a litre still, but it's still a valuable asset and we should be protecting it where we can. So not to, I was just going to say, not, not to mention the carbon benefits of uh, you know avoiding additional uh, treatment with very expensive chemicals and, and, and long distribution uh, pipelines. I think it's great to hear optimism words such as benefit and opportunity when ultimately this is a very sticky situation that we've been put in as, as an industry for developments. Um, but it's great to hear that there are some glimmers of hope, as we said, and that with with effort, every you know, there's 
where there's a will, there's a way, ultimately. And that's been proven by the success stories that you shared. And as you quite rightly said, Roland, it's about getting the right people in the room to have the conversations as early as possible to then be able to find a way through um, and prove that this is not necessary and that actually there hasn't been a lot of benefit come from it at all, even for the environment. Um, William, you were saying earlier that actually because of the, the plans that were already in place, that there is very little benefit to the environment that wouldn't have been there anyway had we been allowed to continue with development. Exactly. Yeah, that's so true. And as I said already, new development is is arguably less than 1%, significantly less than 1% of the problem going forward. The problem is there before us now. The nutrients are out there. The nutrients are there every time. Anyone who lives in a house flushes a loo, basically. Natural England's advice for the best intentions is targeting the wrong part of the problem. It, it really, really is. The issue is reduce the outputs of the treatment works, reduce the nutrient wastage that currently exists within the agricultural community, but recognise that they're working really hard to try and improve that. But I don't see any quantum on that benefit being reported. And that is something we need to do. We need to catch that. We need to capture that good work and quantify it. Because what this all leads to in the end is, as I said it already, we need to be thinking about the catchment, not just bullying one part of society. It almost feels on behalf of the development community like we've been picked on somewhat because we're an easy target. And it's it's wrong. And for the environment, it is completely wrong. New development is not the problem, but it is very much, if you'll let us, be part of the solutions and the improvements. You know, when we can talk about biodiversity net gain, energy, efficiency, use of materials, regeneration of inefficient housing stock. There are so many good things that new development can do. But for some reason, we're seeing as, uh, we're seeing as the devil, and we're not, not in this instance, anyway. But to, to resonate to on your point earlier, Sharon, yes, please, William and I would both welcome very early conversations, whether it's with Considine, whether it's with Seven Trent. Very earliest of conversations means you've got the very best chance of getting something to work on your site, to get your project moving forward, despite all the hurdles you've got to overcome. And I'll just finish by saying hopefully Natural England are listening um, and to reiterate the point that development is not the problem. It could be part of the solution. It should be part of the solution. And developers, and I do speak for the development community here, developers are actively willing to be part of the solution. There are many exemplar developers out there who routinely go well above and beyond what they actually have to do because they want to. They want to build thriving communities. They want to build attractive, sustainable, energy efficient, low water use houses because the population out there, the buying public are not stupid. They know they want to do their bit and developers are responding to market demand. It all joins up if you'll let us. Totally agree and it's been yeah, a very insightful conversation. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience, Roland and William. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, William.